This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. G-O-M-O-T-O.com. I'm Jason Stein, publisher of Automotive News, and this is Daily Drive for Wednesday, February 17th. As large retail groups continue their acquisition spree amid record profitability at the store level, one group seems to be left behind, minority auto dealers. Access to capital is the number one issue, particularly in urban centers. The numbers throughout the pandemic, and especially over the last 15 years, bear witness to the pendulum swing. In 2005, there were 1,805 minority-owned stores in the United States. Today, that number is just over 1,200. And in the black community, the change is even more dramatic, from 795 stores in 2005 to 265. Damon Lester, president of the National Association of Minority Automobile Dealers, is ringing the alarm bell. There needs to be honest and direct conversations with manufacturer partners to provide assistance to all groups, he says. Those challenges are getting more and more difficult. What are some options? And what is the state of the member base in the wake of the social unrest last summer and post-election? We've reached Damon Lester, president of NAMAD in Largo, Maryland. Damon Lester, it's good to hear your voice. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing, Jason? Good. Um, I'm going to ask you to take stock And uh, here in, in mid-February. Describe the state of minority dealer representation across the industry, perhaps broadly, and maybe talk a little bit about room for improvements in your mind. Oh, sure. First, man, thank you very much for having me, and, and I appreciate it. Normally, I would have seen you a couple times already, either at an auto show or, yeah. or any BA event, auto forum. So, well, it's good to hear your voice, man, good good to hear you. So, thank uh, you. overall, you know, last year, um, you know, we shared the sentiment of, of others that it was a unique year. We, we faced the challenge of COVID. We faced the challenges of inventory um, issues or challenges, with, for lack thereof, and and dealers showed their resilience, you know, minority and non. And, and our, our guys, um, especially for minority dealers, seem to have pan out just as well as, as non-minority dealers. And um, they, they, they seem to be doing well. We did have quite a bit of attrition, um, largely because of the price of Blue Sky. And a lot of dealers are, are capitalizing off of that high valuation. And But but all in all, I think they, they seem to be pairing out and, and, and coming into 2021. Um, dealers seem to be doing pretty well. So when we talk about uh, minority dealers, and specifically black dealers, uh, there there is a sense among some black dealers who we've talked to that as a group, they've been left behind in recent years. And the numbers of black-owned dealerships remain far below even pre-Great Recession numbers. What's your take on that? And and how would you suggest that progress is kick-started uh, for black dealers across the country? Well, yeah, there is, that is true. I mean, over the years, let's say pre-recession, we started to see the attrition for the minority dealers, particularly African-American dealers, um, start to deteriorate, um, largely within the, the Ford Chrysler GM realm. And some of those those stores were closed or forced to close because of lack of capital and or they were they, dealers just took buyouts. Um, so that, that affected it. And then once the Great Recession hit, um, 2009, 2010, um, we lost about 30% of the dealer body. And that too took a large hit on our, on our dealer group. And if you look at, 
at from a historical standpoint, African American dealers were were pretty much the the only minority dealer group at that time. When particularly when night when NABAT was founded back in 1980, which was about 300 and 365 uh, minority dealers during that time, and and those stores that these guys or initial four founders received, they were they were awarded. Um, largely because they were involved with a program with Ford, the Chrysler, and the General Motors program during that time, and and those were they were placed in stores that that were not viable points. Um, and then there was just a big rush going into late eighties into the nineties, um, where you saw a big push for the increase in minority dealers through using those programs, but yet and still some of those stores, you know, they inherited stores that were already failed stores or were not viable points, or the infrastructure within those particular cities were not. We're not doing that well. Um, and so you start to see a gradual attrition um, within that, that that segment as well. And so, yes, there, there is a challenge with, with black dealers and trying to get gain the number of black dealers that we had at least pre, pre, pre-recession, which was about 790, 795 back in 2005. Um, as of 2019, there was only 200 and... Um, 63 um, African-American dealers. So it's a huge over 500 point drop and, and trying to gain ground um, in, is a challenge because we, we are faced with capital access and opportunity. And in many instances, we're, we're having access to capital is, is and has been an age old challenge for us, not just uh, African-American dealers, but all minority dealers. However, we, we are trying to, to get those programs and work with every OEM to reinvent and or start up or create these new programs similar to what was formed back in the 80s that in order for there to be growth, there has to be access to, of capital. Um, in order for there to be growth, we have to have those opportunities. But it also have to be smart because of the fact that these, these points nowadays are going at an all-time, all-time high. And so the competition, as we see these public companies are just consolidating all of these larger or mid-sized dealer groups up and, and trying to figure out ways that we can increase our dealer body when we're in a, a, a Wall Street business of now entering our car industry is, is a big challenge for us to, to try to grow. You mentioned automakers playing a significant role in fostering progress. Have the automakers been adequately committed to seeing this happen? And, and, and what are you seeing in that space? You know what, Jason, some, some OEMs do a better job than others. Um, some, some OEMs have, have come up with a plan and come up with attainable goals in which we work with them and try to achieve them. But ultimately, we, we try, to, try to advocate that every manufacturer come up with a written plan. And as you know, this industry, particularly at the CEO level, it turns out to be a revolving door. In many instances, once the CEO leaves or go to another one, we tend to have to always start start back over again with with our, our diversity initiative or our diversity advocacy initiative. So a challenge is, yes, we may come up with a plan and, and there's some things that we have some verbal agreements and that they understand the plight of minority dealers, they understand the business case of minority dealers, particularly black dealers, and they understand that there needs to be an increase but we see the lack of execution of it in many instances with some, some, some of the OEMs. And one of the things that we do push for and urge for is that for every OEM to come up with a financing mechanism similar to what, what General Motors doing is with, with Motors Holding, which has, has been 
um, a program that's never went away. And so GM is doing an awesome job with, with, with using motors um, and all of its capabilities to put um, individuals in points. And we're urging other other OEMs to use their financing arms or their captive arms to come up with some creative ways to, to, to mirror what a motor's holding does. Let's go back to last summer. Did the protests calling for racial justice in the wake of George Floyd's death change the discussion around equity for African-American dealers in the industry? And how so? You know, it changed from the standpoint of there was a spotlight on it. The issue stayed the same. The issue never changed, never changed because we've been talking about this as an issue for well over 40 to 50 years. But what it did do, um, unfortunately, you had to have some civil unrest, um, is that it put a spotlight on on the challenges as it relates to minorities and economic parity. It put a spotlight on how um, how discrimination and all forms of fashion still does exist um, in the year 2020 and also in 2021. And so I think what it has done, it, 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 it had some of the manufacturers and their CEOs, they've come up with some beautiful statements, um, beautiful press releases um, as a result in support of, of, of trying to rid of racial discrimination. Um, but you, you, you have to keep the, that mission in front of everyone because as you see, or as we see, in many instances, it's just been, you know, rhetoric in some instances. So we have to make them continue to come up with a plan, and that plan has to be in writing and, and ways in how we can help each other execute those plans. Because for our dealer body, you know, I've said in a couple other interviews is that when you look at it, our minority dealer group or segment really has been in business for about 40 to 50 years. And But there's been a, 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 a big head start for non-minority dealers to gain traction, a wave of us because of the, the um, civil rights movement. And so in order for us to catch up, there has to be some mechanism that we have to urge and, and be put in place permanently with a monitoring um, being monitored by the CEOs and other groups such as NAMAD and other civil rights organizations that we can try to have the goal of parity in order to be able to, to, to reap the benefits of all of America's promises. We'll hear more from NAMAD President Damon Lester after this message. Your service check-in process sets the tone for your customer's entire visit. Do your customers wait longer than five minutes to check in for service? Are your advisors presenting upsells to every customer every time? How often is the opportunity for trade appraisals missed? When your service drive gets busy, these inefficiencies directly impact revenue. Give your customers the option to handle the entire check-in process themselves. From appointment scheduling through final confirmation, all in under two minutes. Customers have the experience they want while selling themselves, which means your advisors are freed up to focus on profit-producing activities. It's a win-win for both CSI and your revenue. Introducing a smarter service link. GoMoto is the self-service kiosk designed to grow your business. If you're ready to start increasing revenue, improving the customer experience, and maximizing service efficiency today, visit GoMoto.com. 
That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. It was obviously a tumultuous time uh, across the country um, and sparked a lot of conversation, as, as you just alluded to. Where's the energy around all of that right now? Has it dissipated, or, or do you feel that there's been real progress in keeping many of those issues on CEO agendas? And I, that's a good question, and I will, I will answer it twofold. I think when you look at last year, there was just so much anxiety um, surrounding this past presidential election. There was so much anxiety dealing with um, this presidential election and all of the negativity that we've seen or saw and felt, uh, particularly from a minority standpoint. And I can't speak for all minorities, but, you know, they, that past four years was really stressful, Jason, for, you know, just just to be able to, to walk down the street and not knowing, you know, what, what was next or watching CNN and see what, what's next. And so there was a lot of anxiety um, just dealing with all of the chaotic things that took place with the previous administration. And now going into this new administration, um, you know, now we're, we're, we're dealing with what's the vision, how they're going to execute. And also just the things that they said, are they going to be able to, to make those things a reality? And so now it's more of a reality, uh, uh, a, a point with the incoming administration or, or the Biden administration to not only understand what was said on the campaign trail, but also see how they're going to 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 execute the vision. And and it, it takes everyone to to um, to fall in place and want to execute the vision. But it's it's definitely been an interesting um, transition as we, we were faced with the two, you know, two different worlds, um, as we saw what happened in the Capitol last month. And so it's it's just definitely something that I think for all of us, uh, minority and not more minority just to see what's next and how we can um, all come together as one and, 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 and live in harmony. What's your early sense on the Biden administration and, and what kind of progress you could make with it? You know, we've, we've had some conversations, some with the transition team and even prior to the election, we've had some, some dialogue with them. And, you know, everything has to start with economic parity. Um, and, and having appointments and, and things like that are really well and well suited and much needed. But in order for there to be some form of parity from an economic or socioeconomic level, there has to be some form of access to capital in order for small businesses, as well as um, accounting dealerships to also play, play in America's promise here. And so there has to be some mechanism, hopefully post-COVID, that they come up with a plan that there are ways that we can increase these small businesses that were lost and also provide dealerships with, with, with some form of fashion of funding um, by way of the SBA, because similar to what was done during 1980 during the Carter administration with his uh, executive order just to provide capital for acquisitions. You know, those facilities are in place, but we also need to have some patient capital as well um, because of the large price of blue sky today. And I'm guessing that is perhaps the largest or biggest threat to the survival of the minority dealer body today. Wouldn't you agree, Damon? Yeah, I mean, if you just look, Jason, what, what Lithia has done over the past 12 to 18 months, and you know they've been growing and the stock price is crazy high and and, and, and just pointing them out. And I, I know those guys, 
very well over there, but just the amount of growth that they have been been doing just by the acquisition realm, it's tough for any small business or small dealer group to compete with those type of numbers that they've been able to just you know wipe a check quickly. And so I think for the industry as a whole, we have to figure out what the industry wants to be and who it wants to be when it grows up. And what I mean by that is we the industry was traditionally started by family-owned businesses who were ingrained in those those communities. Not that the larger groups aren't, but there there is something different when you live in those cities where where you're where you also have your business. There's a big value there uh, proposition there as well. But I think the industry has to come up with some type of balance in the force, so to speak, just to figure out how can we make sure that. We have these smaller dealers that can survive without being gobbled up by Wall Street. NADA and its new chairman, Paul Walzer, have committed to improving diversity among its ranks and more broadly throughout the dealer community. What role should NADA be playing in the equity discussion and maybe what specific actions do you think it should be taking? One, I would, you know, Chairman Walzer, I think he did an excellent job with just making that. Step one was just, making the statement that he did. I think it was a very bold statement. It was a very, very statement that was was very thought of and it's sincere. Um, I think what NADA now needs to figure out, and we've worked closely, I work closely with them, dog on there every day, uh, is, is how do they execute and what's the plan? And I think what NADA will do and hopefully will continue to do with under under the chairman, um, leadership and Mike Stanton as president's leadership is that if they can just start to ask the question of what every OEM's diversity initiative is, that gives another level of accountability, not to just be accountable, held accountable to us minority organizations or us civil rights organizations, just to know that uh, an organization such as NADA can just can also ask a question on where they stand and what's the plan. I think that's a huge, huge opportunity. I also think NADA has a has a facility with its academy to provide assistance um, by us by assisting us and and trying to groom as many bringing new buds into this industry, particularly those who are minority and at all levels, and and that's that's all including service techs and salesmen and owners and all of the other um, type of categories that dealerships. Um, have within their day-to-day operations. I think that, too, is, is a huge opportunity. They can assist us and other groups in just spreading that message that if we don't do a good job with, with tooting our own horn and talking about opportunities that are available um, in this industry to people of color, then you're going to continue to get what we have, what we are, where we are today. I'll go back to your opening statement to me. I wish I could see you. I wish we could be together again, Damon. I know we will be at some point soon. But in the meantime, we wish you the best of luck throughout this year and to every one of your members. Uh, Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it, and, and, and thank you. We reached NAMAD President Damon Lester in Largo, Maryland. And that's Daily Drive for Wednesday, February 17th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And for a library of more than 225 interviews, listened some 750,000 times, go to autonews.com slash daily drive. We'll be back Thursday.